Welcome, guys, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fredrickson. We are honored that we could be a part of your recovery journey and encourage you and help you in any way possible. Before you enjoy this awesome podcast, we also just want to let you know there is a whole bunch of free resources that you can find on our website at recoveringreality.com. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, friends, to another episode here on the Recovering Reality Podcast. We have another guest on the show today, my friend James Dallin, who's coming up on three years of recovery, and he is sharing the message of recovery in amazing ways. Uh, National speaker in the high schools, middle schools, speaking, just uh, recovering loud. And it's awesome, man. It's good to have you on. How are you doing today? Good, man. Appreciate being here. Uh, doing really good. Doing really good. Awesome. I love hearing that. Especially from people in recovery in the midst of what we are all facing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's, been an, it's been a loud awakening as far as the recovery community goes. And it's been pretty, pretty interesting. Pretty, pretty sad in a lot of ways. And then there's some, some hope there too as well. Absolutely, man. We're going to dive into it. I want to say this. I'm extra excited about today and um, hearing James' story, um, who, by the way, is from Addiction Talk, right? Right. You can find him on Addiction Talk on Instagram. Uh, it's got a big following. Just shares a lot of hope, a lot of good stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm a little extra excited because you live where I. Uh, well, like I said before, we we jumped on here. I should be buried there. <laughs> yeah, and you live there in Utah. And if I'm right, you you live in Salt Lake County, just south, just right at the point of the mountain by Thanksgiving mm-hmm. Point. Yeah, yeah, just wow, right yeah. there. I know the area very well. So I moved uh, to Utah County, which is the county you're in, uh, when I was ten with my family. Lived there to the age of 26, and from the age of 13 to 26, it was just uh, insanity is what it was. It was hospitals, it was jails, it was rehabs, it was emergency rooms, it was fights and overdose, a suicide attempt. I watched over 30 of my friends die, all that madness, and I know the area, and I, I, you know, I, I follow you on, on Instagram, and obviously COVID put a little kink in all the speaking you were doing, but I would see all the time the schools you were at, and I was like, oh, I just love it, man. It's so good. That area needs it, dude. So I'm excited to chat with you today, man. Well, I appreciate it. it uh, it's, it's an interesting area. It's been awesome. And it's, it's been good following you too, man. Uh, it's just, uh, just uh, there's a few that uh, you kind of keep an eye on and some that just seem to disappear. But then there's some like you that just seem to be plugging away every day. And it's been cool, you know, to, uh, to connect with so many cool influencers and people that are really making a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you are one of them, man. So, <clears throat> so let's hear it, man. Take us on a little journey. Um, what was it like? What was it like for you at an early age? And um, what, at what point did, did addiction take over in your world, man? You know what, my, this is, you know, when I go into, I speak to the kids, this is what I tell them. This is how I start off my presentation. Um, I was 34 years old 
34 before I had tried anything ever. Nothing. No marijuana, no alcohol, nothing all the way to the age of 34. You know, I grew up in Springville, Utah, just south of Warham there. Yep, yep. And grew up there my whole life. You know, we was active in the religion there. And I, uh, I was a missionary. I went on a mission. I taught people about drugs and alcohol and you know, negative effects that it has on the body and mind and life in general. And, and then, uh, you know, I came back off of there. I got married shortly after kind of the typical story you hear from around here. But um, Both my brothers. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was too busy being in jail during that time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and so, so, so I, I grew up in Springville. I, I, I go on this mission, good family, got good, you know, siblings, everything, parents, good. Um, go on the mission, I come back and I, I get married and I just, I wasn't home even six months and I was married. And a couple of years later, it's happened to my first daughter, which is a blessing. It's, she's, uh, she's going to be 20 this year. And, um, awesome. so when she was born, when she was born, she had what's called golden heart syndrome, which is, it only happens to a few kids in Utah every year. It's birth defects, basically that happen to the left side of the body. So mm-hmm. wow. at the time she, when she was born, what I was doing was I was, I was selling real estate, I was selling houses with my dad, who was a real estate broker. And the problem with that is that I didn't have insurance. I was self-employed, so uh, that caused a lot of stress with that alone because, you know, in her diagnosis, we were told that, you know, she's going to have 13, 15 surgeries and it's going to be, so I was really stressing out, and things like that. So I actually went and got a part-time job at uh, just at Walmart just, just to get insurance. So I'd go in at four o'clock in the morning and I would work for six hours, get off at 10, and then i went and did my other job. I sold houses just for insurance. And that was good. And, um, but I always wanted to, I, I didn't like working for other people. Um, I know the feeling. <laughs> you know what? Once you work for yourself, it's just like, ah, it's just really hard to, uh, it's hard work, out. but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so, so I'd leave, I'd leave Walmart. My, I I'd go work real estate. And then, uh, at the time, Utah County was just blowing up. Like the real estate market was huge. I was selling houses, doing good. And I thought to myself, I wanted to be my dad because my dad was the broker. I got a cut of the paycheck, everything I did. And I saw potential in North Utah County where I live now. And he kind of focused on South Utah County. That's where he grew up. That's where he knew everybody. And so I did the unthinkable. I, uh, Went back to school. See, I'm like, I'm not a school guy. At least I didn't think I was because I, I was, I just didn't have a good experience in high school. So like the redheaded paper boy guy that always just didn't seem to do well in school. And, you know, after 12 years of that, I just gave up. I just felt like I really felt like I was stupid. I'm kind of going back and forth here, but paint the picture clear. So I wanted to become this, my dad's. So I had to go to a, a, another schooling, brokerage school. 
Stringham Real Estate Academy in Salt Lake. And I heard nothing but brutal things about the school. Like it was going to be the hardest math test and all this stuff. In the meantime, I'm reading all these business books. I, I love, you know, like John C. Maxwell, Thinking for a Change was a book that had a huge impact on me. <clears throat> I started to figure out how, like I learned and I really started to read. I just soaked up reading. I read, read, read. And I found out a lot about myself that, that I wasn't, I was actually not stupid. I was actually, I was actually pretty smart in some of the things that I, you know, in some areas of life, I was just, I was smart. And I, I, I believe my whole life that I wasn't. And so I go into the school and I pass the school, you know, just pass it. And, uh, I get the financing all arranged. I, I buy a franchise, open it up in American Fork, Utah, highlight of my life. So now I got my daughter. I'm working a few hours at Walmart. Now I got this. What, what year is this? And how old are you at this time? I am just uh, 32. Okay. 30 mm-hmm. by the time I was able to do this. And so everything's like my dreams are coming true. So I got my real estate right. office. I set it up across the street from Walmart. So I go straight from there. And I'd go there and I would get until 10 o'clock at night. Within a year, I, I, was, I, was doing, I was doing well. Like I'd put a sign in front of the house. I'd walk away and I'd sell the house by the time I got back to my office. That's how good the real estate market was. And I had awesome. like I don't know, maybe 30, 40 houses. And so it was really good the first year. And then the real estate crash came in 2008. And you know, at the time, I was just open for a couple of years and I couldn't hold on. It just completely shut it down. And I lost that, that company, that company, like my, my lifetime goal was just like, that I achieved just like gone. And, and like I mentioned before, no alcohol or, or, or drugs whatsoever, because I was like, I kind of got arrogant about it. Like as I got older, like that stuff could never happen to me. Then what happened to me? Wait, that's for people that are lower than me. That's that's really arrogant thinking on my part. But that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was wrong because when I lost that, there's there's a sort of like okay, maybe I am that guy that I thought I was in high school. I wasn't smart. I wasn't successful. Because now what do I have to show? I don't have anything. I've got my daughter. I got my wife. I got my another boy on the way. You know, I've got all this stuff happening and I was just looking for something to relieve my pain. And it turns out that uh, I found it. I found it in the Provo liquor store. For the first time ever, I took a drink. I, bought, I went in there. I had no clue what to do. I didn't even know what anything so, hold, beyond. Hold, hold on a minute. So that fascinates me. So you just, so I mean, the pain makes perfect sense. I get it, man. That's what you're describing is overwhelming, dude. It's a daughter. Um, <clears throat> business, like the peak shoots up and then boom, shoots down. Like that would be a crazy emotional roller coaster. But you just, I, t- I started laughing when you said Provo Liquor Store. I was like, yeah, I've been there probably too many times to count. Um, but how, so you just had a thought that like, oh, I've heard alcohol will help or maybe it will. Or did somebody tell you, did you have a drink somewhere else? Or like, did you just, how did, how did you just all of a sudden find yourself there? What, what led into that? That's a good question because right before that, I was I was obviously depressed, which is uh, mm-hmm. 
that's a fair, that's a fair feeling. <laughs> you know, that's a so, fair emotion to be depressed about. Well, I was so depressed. I, I was talking to somebody and they, they said, well, you know, I go to a doctor that they, they will give you some medicine to help you with that depression. And at the time, you know, that to me sounded like that's perfectly cool. You know, because I, I knew people that were like on antidepressants for a little while or whatever, and they were great for them or whatever, you know, why not? It was worth it to me at that point. So I went in, I got this doctor's appointment. I came out of there with a prescription called Paxil within about, I don't know, 2.5 minutes. That's all it took. They didn't even ask me, just try this right here kind of thing. Well, so I take that and it's, I take that for just like a couple weeks. and. Not everybody's going to have this experience and I'm not going to blame anything on Paxil, but what it did is it kind of numbed me out. Like mm. I could feel my, like, like I didn't care. Like that, like I cared that my business was gone, but I didn't care to the extent where it's just like, oh, you know, whatever happens, happens. So it like relaxed me a little bit. I, thought, I found it really weird, but I liked it. I liked it because, because of that relief of the anxiety and depression that came with losing everything. So Immediately, what came to my mind after a couple of weeks of Paxil was, well, if this Paxil does this, what would vodka do? That, that was my thing. So something sort of opened the door. Um, take another step there. Okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, again, I don't blame it on Paxil, but I do believe if I'm going to be, I do believe that that had something to play. To play that just, it relaxed me enough to kind of let my, maybe my, um, my well, personal values for that a little bit. I, I so, totally get it, man. And it's an interesting conversation. I'll just say this real quick. Cause it's like, so let's look at it kind of like about painkillers, you know, the, if, if I've read correctly and I've read pretty much the same statistic across the board from different places, like 80% of people with a heroin addiction all started with painkillers, um, whether they were prescribed to them specifically or getting them on the streets. But I look at like, there's countless stories. I've heard too many even thinking how many more out there people like they had no issue with addiction. Maybe this were a casual drinker, no problems at all with anything. And then a shoulder injury, a back injury, uh, can't sleep. And you know, they yeah. give them sleeping, whatever it is. And then they start taking it and boom, it opens the door. So it's like, it's, I feel like it's just this two sided thing. It's like to say that none of it is my fault. Isn't accurate. Um, because a lot of people that started taking it, especially in those days, especially in those days, they, yeah. the, the dangers of painkillers weren't known as much then as they are now. Absolutely. So there's a bunch of people that started taking it way back in that time, and it threw them into hell or ended up killing them. At the same time, it's like there's a, a, a time comes where you realize like, okay, I can do something about this. It may be an intensely difficult decision, but it's still a choice. I can do something about this. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, I love that you bring it up because it is a very interesting topic to think about that. It's like, so is, is Paxil responsible for all of your problems? Well, no, but at the same time, like you didn't know anything about anything in the place that you were in. It definitely kind of opened the door just kind of like the the perfect storm that hit, you know what I mean? It was, and that's well said. That's that's exactly right. It it came in that Paxil was very much received, very much welcome, with my state of depression. But um, it, but I did notice the numbing effect, the numbing right. of kind of like you know what stuff that would bother me before just didn't bother me. Anymore. Not near as bad. So you and find so, yourself there and. 
good old Provo, Utah liquor store. <laughs> so I go marching in there and I'm I'm like a kid lost in a candy store. Have right. no I only know two liquors, Budweiser and vodka. That's it. I don't know any kind of mixing or whiskey. I don't know any. <coughs> I go for the I go for the value size vodka because I don't have very much money. I grab the vodka, buy it, I go home. And I start sipping on that vodka. I didn't even know how much to do. I didn't even know. So I just took a couple, you know, kind of twigs out of the jug. And um, it was two weeks later, I was, I was a full-blown alcoholic. Wow. I, uh, my body, and at that point in time. Within I, two I, weeks, like you were drinking vodka, like waking up in the morning? Yeah, yeah. I was 24-7 wow. on the floor, on the floor of vodka for two solid years to follow that. That's what started. Wow. I, um, I, it totally overcame me. I never felt so falsely, um, free. Made me mm -hmm. feel, made me feel so relaxed. I think, I mean, it's just a, a level of respect for things was for basic things went down. My morals just tanked it. Just tanked it. I did not care as long as I had pocket, as long as the vodka was being, you know, pumped into me. I was cool. I was cool with just laying on my floor. I got a house. I got a piece of property next to my house. I got my cars. I got my family. I have a job offer in Denver. They're flying me out there. I don't even go get on the plane. Wow. That's how fast that, that, that drug, and I'll call it a drug. That drug. It is a drug. It took me down. And I am 34 now, and I spend the next two years I don't even remember. I remember getting a DUI and I remember going to the, to the jail in Spanish Fork, Utah. I remember going to that jail. I remember getting the DUI. I remember going to court and a few other things in a two-year time frame. This one, now I had three kids too. Two little boys. Well, and those two years, man, I don't So turns out that it doesn't work out too well. That it, You know, you can't make a house payment if you're drunk on the floor and you can't. Yeah. Do these other things. It no, work. it's not conducive for a successful, productive life. Yeah, so I uh, I lost it all, all of it. I lost, and so I went. I had to move my my family to a, 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 dip, a different situation in West Provo, just for a few months, just to kind of figure out what I was going to do. Still drinking like crazy, just to numb everything out. And so. You know, you fast forward a few more months, I find myself in the ER for the third time with alcohol poisoning. The doctor says, listen, like vodka was trying to escape my body. I picture I showed my son the other day. What? Like my back, there's like these, it's hard to explain, it's like these welts. And the vodka was just trying to escape in any way possible out of my body. The doctor straight up just said this. They did blood and work and he comes back a few hours later. He says, your, lip, your liver's on its way. It's tanking fast. You know, you can fix it, but you got to stop today. you like, like, this is serious. And so I thought that that was a pretty good motivation. You know, that was good motivation for me to stop. So I started the tapering off that day. And it was within two weeks, three weeks, that I was completely off alcohol. Dude, I've and heard, I, I, I lived some wild stuff. Thank you, God, that I lived through it. I've heard. I don't even know how many stories, too many to even think. I've never heard a story like yours. I've never, I mean, 
it is what it is. And you and I both know people come from good families, bad families, average families. I know people that come from like what would be considered like a really bad family situation. They never got into addiction. Really great family situation. They passed away. Like addiction doesn't discriminate at all. Exactly. I've just, I've never heard it hit someone like that to where they didn't even, they never had a drink in their whole life to the age of, was it 34? Within two weeks, they're drinking 24 seven for the next, like however many years. It's crazy, it's man. Crazy. It's intense. I and then just taper off on your own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mixed, uh, I mixed the water bottle with orange juice. You know how they did it just kind of naturally. I was so sick though. Even after that two weeks, I was shaking. And of course, you know, all the feelings are still there. All the depression's still there. We were just masking it up for a minute with the alcohol. So everything, not only that, everything was a lot worse. So now I'm living at my in-laws' house in their basement, have nothing, lost everything, thinking the world's going to end. Now I don't have my fake form of happiness. Right. Nobody can turn to. Counterfeit. So, you know, I uh, took a couple months and then I got back up and I thought, you know, I got to go get a job. and. I grew up working in retail, so I had some retail experience. I had, I lost my real estate privileges with my record, you know, and, and being drunk, can't maintain that very well. So I went and got a job at a small store as store manager uh, in Mintville, Utah, 7200 South and State Street, just off State Street right. there. And uh, as you, you may know, uh, where that Hotel 6 is, that it's just a hub for drugs. Anyway, so a lot I of cars man. coming and going. Oh yeah, man, so many. It is. It is known for one of the biggest hubs uh, of, of deals going in and out of that, that that area there. And of course, I didn't know this. I just wanted to go work, and I was depressed, man, because now I, I had my real estate brokerage work for myself. Now I'm working seventy hours a week. I'm on salary right before the holidays. I don't get to see my family. I don't have my faith for my happiness anymore. It's me and and God and whatever else I can hold on to. So I'm depressed, man. And I I taught myself over that two years the easiest way was just to get that numbing. And that's that wasn't an option because I didn't want to die. But uh, I got introduced by a customer in that store who kind of got to know me pretty well because she came in every day. She was she came in to buy supplies for the bar that she works at, for the bar. She was head bartender in South Salt Lake City. And uh, she came in and she says, you know, I, I know you can't have alcohol, but, you know, you liver and can't run a store if you're drunk, but I do have something else if you're interested. And it's just kind of like a fairy tale when I think about it, but I said, what did he talk, what did he talk about? Was, Keep in mind now. Yes, I drank, I drank vodka, but I had no clue. I didn't, I knew about meth. I knew about cocaine, but I've never seen them in real life. I've right. never seen them in real life. It's like that shelter kind of dude. So she brings out of her purse and she says this right here, it's, it's meth. It's meth, you know, meth. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And then, um, she says, do you want some? I mean, there's no one in the store. She's first customer every day. And I, I said, well, it's, okay, yeah, people won't be able to smell it on me. Right. No one will know. It's not going to kill my liver. So I thought. Hide it easier. Yeah, hide it. S- so we think. Yeah. Exactly. 
So I took it. Now I'm standing in that store and I say to her, I say, I have, could you come here? Because I don't even know how to use this drug. You, so I got a lesson on how to use the drug in my store. Back to my office it's not funny, drug. but now it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I, I, she, she's laughing. I, I was like, yes, yeah, seriously, I don't even know. How, I mean, do, but how? Do you, do you just eat it or what? <laughs> or whatever. So she goes back. Oh, and, man. and I hit that drug that morning, right then. I hit it twice out of a pipe. Smoked it. Oh, okay, you smoked it. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, she was right. I, I, immediately, I felt, you know, kind of like, you know, just relaxed a little bit more, a little bit more like a Superman figure, but lots of energy. I, I felt more focused. And I thought that, hey, this stuff is pretty good. She comes back to in the next day. Once more, I said, yeah, I do, actually. And, uh, so we, I, I do some more. Well, then she comes back the next day, same thing. And then she leaves me with a little baggie, little baggie. And, and you haven't paid for any yet. I haven't paid for anything, nothing. Just hooked you on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, exactly. And by day four, I was hooked, man. I was hooked by, by, by day four, I took the keys out of my pocket in the middle of that, that store. I took the keys. So I didn't work from, I was going to go back and work for myself. See, right. So I took the keys out of my pocket, provided for my family, this job and set them on the front counter. And I walked straight out the store. Me, no other employees. So like if you were in that neighborhood, if you were a customer, everything for you was for free in that store. That Wait, there was no other even employees. No. You just took the crazy. keys out, sat in there and said, I quit to yourself? <laughs> I, I text my, my district manager said, I'm leaving right now. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm out. Now come back. Gone. Wow. I'm not now, and from that point on, I did whatever it took to chase that drug. I went home and <laughs> I said goodbye to my family. I said, this was a few wow. days after that. I said, bye. No, I uh, leave. I'm not, I'm not, like my kids are like everything to me. Are you serious? And it, it, it breaks my heart. And so this is the kind of thing, this is my part of my presentation I bring to these kids is the reality of how fast this stuff can change your life. It's Destroy not the same your life, yeah. It's not the same for everybody, but I'm going to tell you the outcome is most likely this it, it's the same for everybody. And some, to some degree, it's just destruction and just a life of misery. So I chased that drug. I followed that drug. That head bartender lady, I actually basically lived in that bar for the first year and a half on that. And that, that bar. How you li- now, during that time, how you living, man? You, you selling it? You just living on the street? You stealing? Well, no, I, mean, I know, I I know the world, but like, what, what was going I had, on? I had money. I had money because of saving, uh, saving money. And you know, obviously the wife wasn't that happy because the savings went whew, real quick. Right. And my, that, that was a $45,000 minimum a year habit when I calculated it all. And that's, that's actually a low amount if you're talking about cocaine. It's much higher than that if you're you know, an active user for a year's time. Absolutely. Stuff. Opiates are more expensive as well, but. But uh, so, but the thing is, is I would I would spend some time working at the bar too. So 
So I had that. So, so I would trade time for, and at the time, the bar was just a hub. South Salt Lake was just a hub for drug deals in and out. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very easy for me. Plus this, this head bartender, she, she was doing well and she'd just give me whatever I wanted. So it, was, it wasn't, you know, a lot of people do have a hard time, um, you know, keeping their hands on it. That's why we see all these thefts and people go rob Walmart or whatever. That's a normal thing for, you know, the drug world. But luckily I wasn't, I didn't have to get into any of that. But um, I literally chased that drug for five just over five years um, until about, about about five about four and a half five years. I really felt that I was I was down to a hundred and eighteen pounds, maybe. Um, I I spent a lot of time in my car alone throughout different areas. I would uh, my favorite thing to do was park in emergency room parking lots. Believe it or not, it gave me kind of some cell sort of. <coughs> comfort knowing that someone saw me because I really felt like my time was limited. I didn't have any desire to just keep going. I was unhealthy. The drug wasn't at that point. It was something my body needed to function more than anything. It's just, it wasn't making me happy anymore. That's for sure. And, and uh, so I was in a deal. I was in a deal and in a, in a parking lot. And the next thing I know, I have South Salt Lake police officers surrounded the car and they're pointing their guns at me. Tell me to get out of the car. A couple of the people that were with us at the time. And in the deal, we're in the deal. And that's when, you know, I've never been arrested before other than my DUI, but this was like, this is like really real to me because we had the guns, we had the whole, we had tons of people, tons of cops there, lots of attention drawn to us. I was in handcuffs, everybody's on the floor, they're searching car, everything, brought the dog. And that's when I thought to myself, go from a business family, all this other stuff. And I'm that guy on cop that you see on cops now. This is wow. my reality. <clears throat> and so I was arrested. Got booked into the into jail and had to go through that process and uh, escaped the felony three. They changed the law like a week before I got arrested. The first time, you know, first possession, first time possession of meth was a misdemeanor A at the time of my arrest. But a week before it was in a felony three. But uh, so I escaped that. But um, then I got sentenced to probation parole for 24 months. It, you know, I was determined at that point. At that point, it wasn't jail, really. That I went to jail for a day. That that wasn't really. I wanted it deep down. I knew I was close to dying. I really felt it was. And so that's when I decided. I crushed my pipes. I remember the day before going to court, before I got sentenced by the judge. Crushed my pipes from the feet in my garage. I basically had a ceremony. <laughs> knew my life was to change for the better. I didn't know how it was going to go. I did, I, you had a little goodbye ceremony to the pipe and everything? Yeah, to my, <laughs> my life. And I, that I was my it. life. My idea, yeah. that, was my, that was my comfort, you know? And I got sentenced by the judge for 24 months. 
that was the last time. That was, that's, that's it. That was it, huh? And then you, you left straight to court to prison, huh? Or jail? Well, I, I went to jail one day. The day I was arrested, I went to jail. I got out, bailed out that night. Mm-hmm. And that was the only time I spent in jail because the judge, well, I, don't, I mean, he just gave me probation, 24 months. And I actually got off after- Oh, probation, not sentenced. Gotcha. Yeah, sentenced to probation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, man. Wow, dude. So, it's crazy. I mean, I know, you know, you know the stories, man, and you, you lived it. And it's like any story where anybody really struggled with addiction is just crazy. You hear stuff where you're just like, yeah, I can relate, you know, but just the stuff we do, the things we, it struck me. One of the things you said, you used to just park in the emergency room parking lots and just <laughs> sit there. Like, that's great. Just because you could feel death so close is kind of what you were alluding to i just felt so lost. i was so lost like you hear people say this but this is truly i was lost i was scared i would cry i would just mm-hmm. cry for an hour uh, I, I i had the drug right there I, I just didn't know quite how to get myself to make that step out of that so was being arrested a blessing i i think so Ultimately, was what was being arrested and going to jail and all probation what led me to quit? Uh, Long term, no. I don't believe that's the case for me anyway. It was more that I did not want to go back to that. I did not. I wanted to. I wanted to get back kids, the family. I just wanted to be back. I wanted to progress in life. You know, when you, time doesn't even exist when you're using as much meth as I, I didn't even know it was Christmas. Someone says Christmas. Like in two days, I'd be like, really? Okay, cool. And my kid, I, I mean, oh, it just, just crushes you. And I was just so ready at that point. It was either it was either die like that or to just drastically make a change. And thank goodness that I had the strength, God's help, really, to and family. I had lots of good support around family. There were some that were like, Ugh. You're in the news. You've got a record. Just Google my name. You'll see. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But so I got clean and it, it was, it was tough, man. It was, it was a struggle for there for, especially for six months. And as time went on and I had a, I have a longtime friend. It was school teacher, health teacher at one of the local schools said, Hey, would you mind when you're ready coming to share your story? Uh, well, yeah, I guess I could do that. So I did, and and I didn't even go prepared really with anything. I just just kind of went. I only had like uh, share know, from like, the heart. Yeah, kind of thing. And so she she liked it, and so she had this thing. She went onto her computer and emailed, I guess, every health teacher in the state of Utah. I didn't know. And also, I'm getting these calls. I thought, oh, why not? So I started going to one school that I didn't know what, you know, I'm looking for a job. I got to get something going. And all of a sudden, man, it's just, I always wanted to, I love connecting with you. I love, I love kids. I think we're talking about drugs and alcohol. We're talking about where we stand in the world today when it comes to our fight against it. It really needs to start with these youngsters, the prevention side of it. It's kids. So I started, as I went from school to school, I started to 
start to figure out my story a little bit better. I learned more about myself by talking about it. And as I connected all the dots, um, I think by that tenth school, I, I I had a PowerPoint, I had everything, but man, I, I was able to go in there and keep it straight up real for 60, 80 minutes, whatever, how much time they gave me. And I think that was the key that they not only wanted teachers called me back because they felt it. And that's the thing is, is whenever I try to cover stuff up or not just be transparent, it doesn't come across as well. So if you just, it is what it is and this is what it is, you know, you got to be careful with what you say. Well, they need to hear. Yeah, you got to be careful, but they need to hear what it's really like. They need to hear yeah. that uh, you're 118 pounds and you're most comfortable in an emergency room parking lot. They, like they need to really, really know. Like, don't don't buy into the lie of oh, it's fun and cool and do it a few times, experiment, and you know it's normal. And no, 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 no. This is life and death. Period. It is, and that's <clears throat> it. Life or death. And my goal is. My goal is to, I tell the teacher this, if, if I've done my job, this room has been silent and that's when you know you're connecting and you're bringing value and you're bringing real life. So if I talk about it, I'm showing you a picture of it. I took just, just under 140,000 pictures, I think, while I was on meth. I don't know why I just, just took every picture. I have a, basically you could tell my story, my personal story, just with pictures alone. Yeah, but let me tell you. Cloud still? Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> Yeah. I said, let me show you the storage unit I lived in for six months right here. And here's the location right here. Look at this right here. See this? See this little thing right here? That's how I stayed warm, right? What about this storage unit over here? I stayed there in a major drug house in South Salt Lake, two major drug houses, then an abandoned house. Stayed there and then the bar, of course. Let me show you all the pictures about that. Let me, I'm not going to just talk to you about it, but I want to bring a message in where they go, Wow, he's actually just showing me what. Yeah, it's powerful. And I think it's been so rewarding, Eric. I tell you, um, I've always kind of wanted to speak, never in a million years. Me, right? Think speaking about my experience with drugs and alcohol, but that's most certainly what I'm doing right now. And it comes, it just, it just seems so natural and it's something I'm very grateful. For me personally, it's been better for me than anybody. And connecting with these kids and just get, you know, they message you or whatever on on Instagram or whatever, and they'll say, yo, I got a question, got a friend, stuff like that, or they'll thank you, whatever. So rewarding. You know? So good, man. And so needed, so needed. Um, let me ask you this, man, if you don't mind spending a few minutes. What what was some of the things, you know, you said you you went to crush the pipes day, you know, before court, judge gave you probation, you kind of got off, like essentially you could have got a decent amount of prison time, it sounds like. <clears throat> what um what did the the work and tools of recovery look like for you early on? Was it 12 steps? Was it church? Was it your own personal? I've heard, you know, people. People say like, well, you know, 12 steps is the only thing that works or this is the only thing. And I'm like, you say whatever you want. I could tell you some of the craziest stories of people getting clean and sober and it worked real well for them and they're doing real well. So 
I personally think like, you know, the 12 steps are fantastic for anybody. Like those yeah. principles are going to work for anybody. They're biblical. Like th- those, those spiritual principles are going to work for anybody. But I've seen people go about it in so many different ways. I think generally speaking, the recovery community is a big part of most people's. But what was a little bit of like, what did the work of recovery look like for you early on? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, because at the, that time, I, I wasn't religious. Obviously, I wasn't. I, I mean, I wasn't. It was all math. And um, I believed in God without question. I, I knew God. I'd defend God in drug deals. <laughs> people would start slamming in the bar. You know, it was common for people to be like, I just know God. That the whole debate is like, by the way, I know you know. I just did a meth deal, but I believe in God and God is real. And it would throw everybody off. Like this meth deal, awesome. this, this, this missionary meth crackhead <laughs> me in a bar as he did a drug deal. The oh. God is freaking real. How about that? Uh, I've never denied that, never, nor will I. I just, I, that's just, I had that, that I'm just, I have that amount of relationship. Is my relationship perfect with God? It is, and I have a lot of room to work there. But I had that still. I still believed in God. I had a great family support. But the biggest thing for me, the biggest thing, was I had a higher purpose. And that's why I say, going to the schools, sharing my message. I wasn't quite putting it all together yet, but I was driven to something. And it all turned out to just, helping others i want them to feel it like i want them to feel it and so i feel like i've been very blessed to be transparent because let's be honest coming from the background that i had i have brothers good people they're leaders in the church a lot of people expect maybe that i should be a leader in the church someday you know that kind of thing that wasn't me here I am now. I'm, I'm going across schools. Now I'm in the local newspaper. Now I'm on the TV station. Now there's, now I'm telling the my newspaper story to again. the world. In the newspaper again. <laughs> now for yeah. the right reasons. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you can imagine how maybe some people would take that. They're like, oh no, he's telling them this, what he did. And I don't have a problem. And I would have before. And I think, I don't know if that's God helping me out there or what, but bro, I just don't care who know who what they think about me because I'm just gonna. It's just it's just where I'm at today. It's just I I don't hold anything back respectfully, and if you want to know my story, you're gonna know it, <laughs> and you're gonna feel it too. And that's one thing that I've been really thankful I've been able to do because before I've been too embarrassed. So I think the biggest thing for me was I got a good support system as far as, you know, kids and stuff. And, and then I've got, I've got a, a relationship with God out here. Need, need a lot of work, but I had it. But the biggest thing was that higher purpose. What, what was it that was driving me? And it was to see these kids and it like, Respond to come up to me after school. My mom and dad, they're gone. I live with my aunt. Cool. They're both in, pri- 
they're telling me. I've like, spoken in some schools, like, man, not as many as you, but and have them come up and like kids come up and say, my mom died just last, you know, during the summer. My dad's in prison. I'm sleeping on my aunt's couch. Like, like a line of three or four of them, just a 30, you know, person class, 30 kid. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. So, so, and I, I had no clues. You know, I was in my own little world and it wasn't like that when we were in, in junior high, high school, at least for me. Yeah, me and they already know that. They already know what I'm about to say on most most of my punchlines. <laughs> mm-hmm. They can repeat it, but they uh they're smart. They are so exposed to this stuff. It's you know, but uh I think for them to come up and it's just after taking for so long, when you're in drug world or you're an alcoholic, you just take from everybody. You just you don't care. It's it's all about you and the drug. And to be able to just have that feeling again where I really feel like I'm adding value back into the community, back into the world. And at the same time, I'm developing myself as a person. I'm learning. I go back home. I, I'm, like I said before, I take it very seriously. Like I'm a student of my business. I listen to talks. I listen to people like you. I listen to your perspective and uh, reaction. Or let's see. What's his name? It's reaction, reaction recovery. Reaction. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, just um, uh, there's, there's a lot. There's, yeah, he's I awesome. Have, I keep track of what I listen to. I wanna, I'm gonna get different ideas and and uh, so I do that and then I implement it into my my presentation. And you know, of course, the goal is to be the best in the world, right? And so, absolutely, you know, <laughs> for, for the right reasons. But right. Uh, what happens or not, I don't know. But uh, as I'm content. Going from school to school, I can't wait till it happens again. But that connection, that higher purpose, is what's kept me. I think I really believe that. I love that, man. I love that. I, I can relate to a lot of it. You know, it's it's funny. I'm reminded. I think it's um, Bradley Cooper, the guy that did like American Sniper, the actor. <laughs> Excuse me. So he's been yeah, he's been clean and sober. I think like 20 years, something like that, give or take. Um, he said the biggest thing was exactly kind of what you're talking about. Obviously his purpose might be different, but he said the biggest thing that drove him to get clean and sober was he knew there was no way he would ever live out his potential. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I've, I've definitely been there. Wow, man. Yeah. I never get sick of hearing the stories because you just, you just never know what you're going to get, man. It's like every story where you listen to someone who really struggled with addiction, generally speaking, you're going to hear a lot of the same things. But at the sure. same time, it's like kind of put on your seatbelt because you really at the same time have no idea what you're going to hear because it's just crazy town. It's yeah. just straight up Looneyville. The stuff we did and did, it's crazy, man. It really is. And that's why it never gets old listening to people's stories because you can take away something from everybody. You know, it's just my my love for people, dude. It's just like I just love people. I, I that me sounds too. weird, maybe to say that. I, yeah, maybe to someone else. I get it, man. Absolutely, I get it. I just I just want to know about. I just want to know what makes people tick. I want to know. I don't. I just want to know. I just I just find people very fascinating. I love that, man. That 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 is the that's evidence of God transforming your life. You know, like I used to hide from the world. I used to hate people. I, I, you know, in high school, 
I was like violent. I got in a lot of fights and just drinking and drugs and all that craziness. And now it's like, man, I chase people down to talk to them. You know what I mean? I go out of my way to call people to see how they're doing. And it's just, I mean, yeah. it's so powerful and amazing. I mean, we have a participation, you know, like a, a, a role to play a partnership with God, but it's just the work of God in my life. It's his, it's his work, man. He, he did it. And it's just amazing to just come where we, from where we came from. And now to live the way we live, it's like, if you don't believe in miracles and if this doesn't convince you, you know, of miracles, then I don't know what will. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, and when you look at the state of the world today, it's, it's really going to come down to, to, to people going out of the way and doing their best they can to, to find something that, that you can relate with somebody and just feed off of it. And that's, that's power. You know, you call it charity, you can call it love, I mean, charity, love, showing compassion, service, whatever. If you take, if you invest some time in, in somebody, I don't care who it is. I am convinced everybody has that sign. I have that sign. I have it all the time that says, make me feel important. Just, just somehow today, make me feel important. Like I contributed, like I did something. Everybody, anybody, I don't care who you are. Be famous, whatever. We all have that sign. And I, I try to look at everybody with that sign on, regardless of who I'm talking to. So, how am I, how am I as a, as a individual, how am I going to make whoever I'm in front of going to feel important? What I, maybe it's just complimenting on their shoes. I don't know, but something. And that's my goal. Is when I see people and that's very different because where I was, man, very different. So good and so simple and so true. It's interesting. I put this book up right here. I, I really didn't even know why I never put this here in the background here. Have you ever, you, you should, if you haven't read this book, you should read it, man. It's called How Full Is Your Bucket? Oh, I've heard about it. Dude, get it, man. I just elaborated on it on one of my recent podcasts. I called it um, The Power of uh, Encouragement and The Power of Discouragement. And it's exactly what you're talking about, man. It's just like intentionally going out of our way to encourage people, acknowledge people, encourage them, see the good. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people maybe shift away from that because they think if you're seeing the good and you're being positive, that you're naive to the real problems. Right. And I suppose, I mean, you could be, you could just be blind and naive. And I'd rather err on the side of that, if anything. But at the same time, it's like, no, just because you're being encouraging and positive doesn't necessarily mean you're unaware of the problem. It just means that you know the problem's there, but you also know that dwelling on it's not going to get rid of it. Exactly. So you got you got to have this solution based perspective. Of like, okay, the problem's here. I see it. I acknowledge it, and then boom, it's solution based thinking, man. And like, just being encouraging, acknowledging people. You know what I mean? Like, loving people, compassion. It, this stuff is so simple. It just gets well. You know, we send them to the psychiatrist and stick a label on them and give them a medication, and that's yeah. that's got its place, okay? And it, it does. But at the same time, it's like, man, sometimes people would just their lives would be transformed if we could just take some time and go out of our way to acknowledge people and love them and understand the power and the this, this simplicity, but the power in that. I love that yeah, you're man. mentioning that, man. We could do a whole nother show on this. I am so, <laughs> I, I've read lots of books. I'm going to read that book. 
to love it. This number one subject, you hear it all the time. It, it can, it does change lives and it can change communities and it can change far beyond that. One powerful thing at the right time to somebody can mean difference to the whole world. A sincere, yeah. it's sincere. Right? Uh, Absolutely. Power, dude, is just, like I do it with my kids all the time. Just, I say, you know what? I was thinking today, you are really, we can get it right in that skateboard, man. I don't know what that, I've ever, I mean, just something, just, just acknowledge like something. You can see that my kids, my kids, my youngest, she's just turned 15, he's a skateboard. It's just, he just soaks it in. People just, we're craving for that. It's mm-hmm. natural for us to want that. And it, it changes people. It does. Yes, it does. It's fact, man. Fact. Well, we might have to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we might have to have you back on sometime here in the near future. We'll just, I don't know, pick a topic and maybe that one we just uh, <laughs> yeah. brought up. I talked, sure sorry. Can... What's that? I talked, I talked quite a bit. I probably, we're probably getting close out of time. No, no, man. It's, it's all good, dude. That's why I brought you on. I love, I love hearing it and hearing it from so many different perspectives and people. And, um, cause you know, this, this thing with, um, I'll just wrap up with this, you know, it's like, so this is what I've been doing. And even just as my full-time work is like my business, but just recovery now for over 11 years. And it's just, it's, it's constant. And, you know, people say like, Oh, what do you do for a living? And I'll say, Oh, I you know, work with people in recovery. And they'll say like, yeah, I get asked the question on more than one occasion. They just ask like this massive question. Like, how do you think we fix this problem? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> let me just give you one sentence, you know, that's just going to say, Oh, yeah. just do this. The truth is love people. But to break that down into so much more detail is like, this is why I love having these conversations. There's so many different perspectives. There's so many different variables. There's so many different stories, backgrounds people are from, the nature versus nurture, the you know, mental health, the availability of drugs. I mean, I'm kind of scratching the surface of the yeah. list that we could go down. It's like, no, it's not that simple. Very true. But the, the biggest thing that I see is that people to really get their lives transformed um, that have really struggled with addiction, there's got to be a relational connection. Like they, it's desperate that they need healthy relationships in their life. People loving them, healthy communication, accountability, like the relationships in most people. I mean, I dare say everybody's life that's really struggled with addiction. The relationships are a disaster. Yeah. And Having people in their life, like early on for me, having people in my life that believed in me, understood, it's a total game changer. Total game changer, man. Absolutely. Yeah, I, rem- yeah. I, I, I love your story when you went to California and talking about it those people, they really stepped up to make all the difference. Yeah. Who knows where I would be without them? Um, those people, Darren and Eileen, where are their names? Still talk to them. Just talked to them a couple of days ago. Well, man, I love it, dude. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, man. Yeah, anytime. I, I, I appreciate all you're doing. And like I said, I've been listening to some of your podcasts. Just, just powerful stuff, dude. So I appreciate you as well. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate it, dude. Just, we just um, do our part to recover loudly so people don't die silently. That's right. That's, That's it, right. Um, well, dude, if uh, 
say anybody heard this and they maybe live in Utah or they want to reach out, like, uh, tell them, like, what exactly is your Instagram? I mentioned it, but like, or you want to share your email? Or like, if anyone wants to get a hold of you or follow you, what do they, what do they do? Where are you at? Uh, you can go to jamesdallin.com. That, uh, that's usually the easiest or addiction talk on Instagram. Uh, I do Facebook. I got, I'm connected in there. I don't do as much with Facebook. I need to get them all connected, but my big, the biggest way is jamesdown.com. There's a little way there that you can see what I've done in schools and stuff. And then, um, just addiction talk. It's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome, man. Well, keep shining bright, dude. There in, in happy Valley, <laughs> as they call it. And, uh, in Utah, it's much needed, man. Yeah, but I, I will appreciate it, man. And you do the same there in Florida. Yeah, yeah. Sun's shining down here year-round, so we like it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. And thank you guys for joining us again on a, uh, another adventure here on the Recovering Reality Podcast. And we'll connect with you guys again soon. Thanks for joining us today, guys, on another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. Hey, make sure you jump over to the website, recoveringreality.com, for an endless amount of free recovery resources. Share this podcast with a friend. Help us spread the message of hope. And again, if you are struggling with an addiction that you can't seem to shake, let's talk.